Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, psychology grad student, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I provide a space for women to share their stories. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today and enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, quick trigger warning. We do briefly talk about suicide in this episode. We also talk about intrusive thoughts. So if you're not in a place to hear about that, feel free to skip this episode come back at a later time, or don't come back at all if you don't feel like you're in a space to be able to hear about that. We have plenty of other amazing episodes to enjoy. So I hope if you're sticking with me, you enjoy the episode. Hey, everyone. Today, I'm here with Rebecca. Rebecca is a second time podcast guest. Uh, Her nickname is Snowflake, and she is the co-host of the Bipolar Girl podcast, which I have been on multiple times. It's a great podcast. Tune in, check it out. Uh, she is a 37-year-old Colorado native who is an army veteran. Well, yeah, thank you for your service. I've told you this before. Um, <laughs> it's not easy. And like now the whole world is losing their mind over it. And they're like, oh my God. Yeah, I see so many posts from people whose spouses are in the military. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so concerned. Please stop asking me where my spouse is. I don't know. And I'm like, this is heartbreaking. Um But Rebecca is a college graduate of the University of Pennsylvania, UPenn, mother of two and wife for 17 years. Hashtag goals. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm only at 11, Um, but, you know, hopefully he'll put up with me uh, for longer than he has. He says he's not going anywhere anytime soon, but I'm like, well, let's see about that. She is also a full-time professional at the U.S. Department of Justice. Woo! Rebecca suffers from several mental illnesses, obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD being one. For fun, Rebecca loves to travel both domestically and internationally and enjoys time with her husband and kids. We were just talking about y'all traveling and hopefully we can get together because we've never met in person. Nope. (laughs) So Rebecca's show, Bipolar Girl, is an internationally listened to show and wants people with mental illness or not to listen to the show. So it's www.bipolargirlpodcast.com and it can be found on all of the places. Uh, Definitely check it out. Tune in. You will learn something new each time. I have, and I have bipolar disorders. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Or, or, or I, I hear a story where I'm like, I can totally relate to that. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's not just me. I'm not just weird. It actually is a thing. Okay. So Rebecca, I asked you to come on because we have talked about uh, like your journey with bipolar disorder, mm-hmm. but you and I both have uh, vented on Facebook multiple times about people using disorders and symptoms of disorders as adjectives. Yeah. <laughs> And OCD happens to be one that is done all the time. Like mm-hmm. you always see it. I, I mean, I, I have so many people in my life on social media or like in my personal life, like in person that I've done it. And I have to be like, really? Like, are you OCD? Did you get a diagnosis with OCD? Cause I don't think you did, but if you did, that's news to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're not using that properly. So 
when was it that you started showing symptoms of what you now know is OCD? In my childhood. Um, so the biggest thing with OCD is ruminating thoughts. So it's when you get that thought stuck in your head and you can't do anything about it. It's there and it won't go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so once I was diagnosed with it, 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 just like bipolar, you can look backwards and be like, Oh, it yeah. makes sense now. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it's interesting because there's certain, there's, there's all kinds of subtypes to OCD. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I have, I have heard called is pure O. And what it is, is I have all the ruminations without the compulsions. So the way OCD usually works is you get the rumination, you get the horrible thought, and then you do a compulsion in order to get rid of the thought, right? Like my mom's going to die, but if I flick the lights three times, she won't. Mm. So that's where the compulsion comes in. I don't have the compulsions. I have weird little like compulsions, but not that like disrupt my life compulsions. Gotcha. I actually, uh, so I went through this phase of reading memoirs of people with all sorts of kind of mental illnesses. And I read one um, from this guy who had OCD and he said he just had the thoughts too. And they Mm -hmm. were really dark, like really dark thoughts. And he didn't know that that was OCD until like, he finally went and talked to somebody who was like uh, embarrassed because he thought somebody was like going to like decide he couldn't live his life because he had these really dark thoughts. Uh, And, but he didn't really have the compulsions either. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you just get the thoughts. And I think what's hard about that is, you know, if we had the compulsions and it probably would have come to mind that, okay, this is probably OCD or this is something else, but just the thoughts, it's like, you just start feeling like I'm a horrible individual. <laughs> like People don't think like this. <laughs> Normal people don't think like this. I mean, I don't have OCD, but I can relate to sometimes having thoughts that normal people don't think of. I I went before I was on medication sometimes. And in when star was on this podcast, like when I, my podcast, when I interviewed her, we were talking about how both her and I sometimes would have thoughts of like just driving off the road, just like Mm -hmm. driving off a bridge, just like, Mm -hmm. not that we felt like we had to, and it didn't, wasn't like where it just you know, like you're talking about where it just stayed in my head, but it would just be like this brief fleeting, like, what if I just drove off the road? Like what would happen? <laughs> See, and they're, they're kind of like that. Like they're very intrusive like that. They come out of nowhere. Um, one that I've been having regularly is I can't be in the car with the window down because if my phone's near me, because I just know I'm going to throw my phone out the window. And like, it, it's so intense that like, I literally have to put my phone away or roll up the window because I'm going to throw my phone out the window. Um, and like there, there's no reason for that. That's just randomness. So how does that differ from the impulses that you feel with bipolar disorder? The ones that I feel with bipolar disorder eventually go away. They, they, they will not last as long. Um, 
the ones where it's more OCD, like I have to talk those through, like I either need to talk to my husband or I need to talk to my therapist. Like it has to be dealt with. Um, another thing that is very common with OCD that I get a lot is lists. So like we make lists, um, I make them in my head a lot of the times. And so like, for example, there was one night that I was trying to go to sleep, but it was going to be a busy day the next day. And so I was running through everything that I had to do the next day, but I kept thinking that I missed something. So then I would start over at the beginning and then I would miss something. So then I'd start over at the beginning and I stayed up all night doing that. Gotcha. So why do you think that people think that OCD is just having things very neat and tidy? Like, where do you think that came from? Because like, from what I've heard so far from you and also from that memoir, I uh, read and I've talked to other people with OCD before, not on the podcast though. That's not typically like, I mean, I'm sure there, there has to be people out there who have those symptoms, but like none of the people I know have that as one of their symptoms. So orderliness and cleanliness is one of the subtypes. It, it yeah. can be one of the subtypes. I think it comes from media. I, I mean, perfect example is like, we all know monk monk was OCD. Right. And so he wanted everything clean. He wanted everything orderly. So then we just society gets it in their head that that's what that is. Um, which is great. Cause yeah, it brings up the conversation, but you don't really know what you're talking about. You, like the scary side of OCD is never talked about just the funny little compulsions. Yeah. Like somebody flicking the, the light on, on and off a certain number of times or having to like lock the door like multiple times. And, and those are just things that pop in my head, probably mm -hmm. from the media. And, and as you know, and anybody listening knows is my research interests is stigma. And I feel like I shouldn't even say, I feel like the research actually shows is like these depictions on TV actually feed that stigma because yes. one of the things that are necessary for stigma are stereotypes. Well, if mm -hmm. you don't have that stereotype, then you don't form stigma because the prejudice is formed off the stereotypes and then discrimination. And, and that's pretty much the process. And so media definitely feeds that those stereotypes mm -hmm. and that stigma. It definitely does. I mean, it, it's always a good thing when we can laugh at ourselves, you yeah. know, when we can see our little quirks and find the humor in them. But when you actually have the illness and you see, you know, the damage that it can do to people. I mean, one of the biggest issues that I see a lot in the OCD community is um, really messed up hands. And it's because they wash their hands consistently and constantly mm. over and over and over again. And so like in the forums and in the groups, it's always like, what's the best lotion to use? And what's the you know least damaging soap that I can use? And how do I stop doing this? Um, the other thing is skin picking. Uh, they do, you know, you, you can get a compulsion to pick your skin or pick your scabs. And then, you know, that leads to horrible wounds if you don't be careful with that. So we do get kind of this lighthearted, funny stereotype. And then you get the whole, Oh, well, everybody has a little OCD. Oh, you know, everybody's just like, a little every, bipolar. Sometimes a little bipolar. <laughs> <laughs> like that's not how that works, but okay. Good try. 
but it does. I mean, um, you know, these things we can, we can laugh at it because, but other people should not be laughing at it. No, like, no it other people be, shouldn't be laughing about yeah, it. It should not be lighthearted and funny to other people. They should be taking it seriously and understand like, no, this is a mental illness. This is not just a joke. Like you think like, oh, you're OCD because you're neat and tidy, but you don't know what it's like to struggle with the things that aren't cute, you know, and yeah. funny with the disorder. The and parts that aren't talked about, right? Because like, yeah, we talk about the compulsions, but nobody talks about these thoughts. And in the different subcategories, you have um, contamination where you think, you know, that that's the germaphobe, right? That's the quintessential right. germaphobe. Um, you have religious compulsions. Either you feel that you're breaking your religion or that, you know, you're not holy enough. Um, you're going to go to hell if you don't do this. Um, and then you have the sexual intrusive thoughts. Mm, that's what the guy had. So yeah. you get, you get these really intrusive thoughts, um, either around family members. So around incest or like around children. And then you get the fear that you're a pedophile somehow. Um, and then there's harm OCD where you, you think that you're going to hurt somebody, right? Like I'm careless and I'm going to hurt somebody. So now I have to be extra careful. And if I'm not careful, then I think maybe I did hurt somebody. Um, and so like, those are the things that aren't ever talked about and nobody understands that about it, you know? So how that one, that sounds very scary. Um, and two, how, how do people get treatment for OCD? How does that, that work? So medication can help. Um, anxiety medication tends to help. Um, some antidepressants can help. Um, but a lot of it is therapy. People do EMDR a lot yes. with it, but it's very much like what you do with, with phobias. You have, you have okay. to face the fear. And the biggest thing is learning to address. It's like meditation. You see the thought and you let the thought go <laughs> and, and, and that's it. Like you just got to let it go. You know, don't do the compulsion, understand that the world's not ending and just let it go. Wow. I mean, I'm, I'm pro medication. Anybody listening knows that I am. I've actually had to turn down a couple of guests who wanted to come on to, to tell people what kind of all natural remedies will help cure their mental illness. And I'm like, Oh, that's a hard pass on this one. Cause I'm not about to have somebody come on and med shame anybody, especially somebody who literally will be on meds for the rest of her life. So you know, I'm fully for the meds and therapy. Um, I do. I did EMDR therapy prior to COVID. Uh, people probably heard it on the podcast that my therapist stopped doing it in person. And I don't do well with the, like, there's a way to do it. Like over telehealth, it's like, you're tapping on yourself. Yeah. It doesn't work yeah. for me. I need the lights and the things and the, and so who knows when she's going to go back in person. So I only meet with her like once a month now, because I'm like, let's see. whatever. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, just like you said, it's like with the phobia, it's, um, it's immersion. Oh, immersion exposure, exposure and aversion therapy. And then also cognitive behavior therapy can help. Gotcha. Wow. That's I've been in therapy for so many years and I can't even imagine having to be in it for like 
Is it like a forever thing or just like a, once you get the hang of it thing? It's kind of just learned behavior and unlearning behavior. Um, so it's not that you necessarily have to be in therapy forever, but it is something where you might have to go back. Yeah. Right. Especially because people can change subcategories. So I could have gone to therapy for religion, but now I have harm. And so now I have to relearn all of that stuff over again with these harm intrusive thoughts. Yeah. So when did, when did you get your OCD diagnosis? About two years ago, two or three years ago. So you've had your bipolar diagnosis much longer, much longer. What made them like realize, oh, there's something more. So the bipolar medication only worked to a certain extent. And like, I was still very agitated and I was still, you know, not sleeping and they just kept raising. I was on Lamictal and they just kept raising the Lamictal and it just wasn't working. And so I went to a new psychiatrist and I was telling her, you know, I get these thoughts and I just focus on them. And then like, I can't sleep. And she was like, yeah, I, that's OCD. So then she gave me the whole test and everything. And she was like, yeah, you have OCD. So it just took, it took someone looking outside of bipolar for a reason for why I was acting the way I was, you know, cause everybody just got stuck on the bipolar and they were like, Oh, you just need more mood stabilizer. And it's like, but this isn't working. Yeah. That's what happened with my, um, diagnosis. So they just stuck with major depressive disorder and completely people kept missing the fact that mm-hmm. like I had like the hypomania. And if I had seen a therapist in college, it, it was full-blown mania. Like mm-hmm. it, I mean, I look back and I'm like, whoa, girl, <laughs> like, holy crap. Um, but I mean, I guess it must've calmed down because now it's a hypomania, but anyways, therapists, everybody just kept focusing on the depression and missed it until I saw the right person. And they were like, Oh no, honey, there's a reason that the medication they put you on was not working. Right. Yeah. I think, I mean, it does take a special person and the right person to look beyond the diagnosis, right? Because especially with bipolar, bipolar is comorbid with everything under the sun, right? There's people with all kinds of lists of Mm -hmm. illnesses with along with bipolar. So to understand that you can have comorbidities with it and to look outside of the diagnosis, it it takes the right person to do that. And so people just need to keep searching if they think there's something more. Yeah. They do. I mean, a psychiatrist and a therapist is just like a doctor, like get a second opinion. Go find somebody else. And you I, I feel bad for these people who get first diagnosed, right? Cause like we've been through this for years. Um, but when you first get diagnosed and people start telling you crazy things, they believe them. They don't have any reason why not to believe them. And, and then you hear these stories in groups and forums and you're like, oh, honey, you go to a other doctor. Like that's mm-hmm. not right at all. Or when they're like, I'm on 17 different medications. And it's like, no, you shouldn't be on that many. Like yeah, we can be on several, but not that many. Yeah. I see that I'm in a bipolar group on Facebook and I, there's been multiple posts where, I mean, everybody's commenting like, no, 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 no. Get a second opinion. No, Mm -hmm. that's not right. 
And sometimes the person will argue back, well, you're not a mental health professional. And well, you have people who are telling you they've had, they've had bipolar disorder for years. And this psychiatrist is trying to tell you like, no, that's not a thing. And they're like, yeah, I experienced that thing. And so do like 50 other people in this group. So we're all wrong. We're all wrong. And we're all making it up. It's just wild sometimes. And, you know, some of it is like not to be ageist, but sometimes you get like a much older, like Mm -hmm. psychiatrist and they're still kind of stuck in like what they learned back, you know, 50 years ago in school versus like how far and we've come with mental health and how much we've learned about Mm -hmm. like, oh, this is actually like legit. That's, this is how it is. And, And we're constantly learning. So I, you know, sometimes I think that plays into it too. I think so too. And I mean, it just kind of comes down on, are they continuing their education? Like, are Mm -hmm. they staying up on the latest research and are they going to workshops and are they, you know, part of the associations where they get together and talk about things, you know, or are they just in their little silo and this is what it is? Yeah, exactly. So what, what do you think are people's biggest misunderstandings when it comes to OCD? Is it just like they think it's neat and tidy or, or is there more that you've heard where you're just like, that's not freaking right. It's neat and tidy. The biggest, the biggest thing I see is neat and tidy. Like I like a clean house. I'm so OCD. Um, there's a meme that goes around the internet talking about you call it OCD and I call it put the thing back where it came from oh, or put the one. thing back in its place. And it's like, no, but yeah. And that's the problem with it is it's like, yeah, it can be neat and tidy, but no, you don't have it. Right. <laughs> Are so, you like literally like losing your mind? That's the best way I can put it over somebody not putting it back. Or is it just mildly irritating? Mildly irritating. Right. Yeah. Because it's like, if it was OCD, then you would be loose. Your anxiety level would be through the roof. You wouldn't be able to sit still. You would have to get up and fix it. Like not just, Oh my God, the room is messy. And now I'm mildly agitated because my kid threw his toys on the floor. Like that's not right. And I think, you know, people, people don't care. <laughs> they just don't care. I feel like sometimes I post some shit and I'm just like talking to a brick wall. It is. Like, people it, don't care. Yeah, it is. I mean, I have weird little compulsions. Like my biggest thing is the sheets on the bed. Like I will not sleep if they're not right. And I have made my husband get up and fix them before because I literally cannot sleep. If they're wrinkled or crinkled or whatever, I, I will make people get up and fix them with me. Um, we had this thing where we like moved our bed and somehow, you know how, when you're married, you have like your side of the bed. Yes. Somehow when we moved the bed, we had like flipped sides. <gasps> and when we did that, I started getting all these horrible thoughts in my head that my husband hated me and like he was going to hurt me somehow like physically hurt me and he's never laid a hand on me, but like, I was so uncomfortable and we were like that for a good six months before I put it together. And the way I figured it out was we laid on the opposite sides just by chance. And I was like, I feel so much better over here. Like, why do I feel so much better over here? And we were just on the wrong sides. 
Did you know there are people out there who don't have sides? No, that's insane. I, I know I saw a post on Facebook about it. That's insane. How do you not have a side? I, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> like no matter where we, no matter how our bed has ever been positioned, we've had the same side. Yeah. You bed. have the side. <laughs> you have a side. Like that's where your stuff is too. Like you have your little, your little table and like all your yeah. stuff is there. Like, how do you not? I know I was mm-hmm. just totally baffled. And not only that, but like, you know, you're typically different sizes than your spouse. And mm-hmm. so they're side of the bed feels weird. Yeah. Jeremy's bigger than I am. And that's like not a bash on him and his size, but like his, his side of the bed goes down more than mine. (laughs) And so no, that's, that's, that's not right. I know I was, you know, and I am a, I'm a cuddler and I like to be the little spoon and it would just feel weird if it was (laughs) right. You're it's not right. It's not right. Not right. No. And so I can only imagine if like, I didn't realize that like we moved things around and I didn't realize that I was on the wrong side of bed. Like, whew, that'd be a lot. So not. Yeah, and, and when I was, when we figured it out, like Steven knew we were on the wrong side of the beds, like, but he was like, okay, well maybe she just like wanted, and we had moved the furniture cause I was manic. So I think that's why I didn't realize that like I was on the wrong side of the bed because yeah, I was manic and I was like, our room is not feng shui. And we had to redo everything. Um, I have never cared about feng shui a day in my life, but that day it was important. So in my mania, I didn't realize that we were on the wrong side. And then it started to mess with the ruminations and it's just one thing after another. Do you think just subconsciously that your brain like was realized it and is just playing with you? (laughs) It it very well could like, right. Like subconsciously, I know I'm uncomfortable here. Right. I don't know why I'm uncomfortable here. So then I have to come up with these reasons of why I'm uncomfortable here. And what my brain came up with is you're going to get hurt. I don't know how, but somehow you're going to get hurt if you're over here any longer. That just continued until you realized Mm -hmm. that you were on the wrong side of the bed. Yeah. And I was angry and agitated and like distant, like, you know, Steven would come over and want to cuddle and I would like freeze up and he's like, what is going on? And finally it was too much. And I was like, I have no idea, but I think you're like, I, my brain is telling me you're going to hurt me. And he was like, that's insane. And so we had to like, we went through all that and we didn't know what it was. And then just that random time we switched spots. And I was like, I feel better now. And one thing that people listening may not realize, and I mean, I can't fully relate to what you are experiencing. Cause I don't experience that, but like we both have experienced depression. And so in that way, I, I, I understand at a level what it's like to have your brain do messed up shit. And things you can't don't want it, it to do. Yeah. No, things you don't want it to do. And I try to explain to people, like it tells you things that isn't real and it makes you feel ways that aren't true. And you can tell me all day long when I'm depressed, I'm the most wonderful freaking person in the world. And you love me. And in my head, I think you hate me and I'm the worst yep. human in the world. And it doesn't matter what you say. Yeah. So it, is it similar to that? Like, mm-hmm. except you yep. can't shut it off except it doesn't go away. 
And it just is over and over and over again. Um, and to a certain point, like it, you, when you have it for so long, it kind of drowns itself out, but it's always there. You know, it's like an intrusive thought that never leaves. So it's like if somebody had like suicidal thoughts, but they just don't stop. Like they just, they just don't stop. They just continue to mm-hmm. stay there. They just forever. stay there and run through your brain on a loop. It's not, it's like when you have a song stuck in your head only with a horrible thought. And, you know, at least with a song stuck in your head, what's the trick is like, you have to listen to the whole song and then it goes away. It doesn't go away. So how do you handle that? We hand, I handle it with medication. Um, I also handle it through, uh, therapy. So if, you know, when I get the intrusive thoughts, um, there's somebody to run it by and talk it through. And, you know, like the night that I stayed up making lists in my head, you know, I had talked to her the next day about that. And she was like, okay, next time get up and write it. She was like, maybe if you write it down. So that's my new trick is when I get stuck on a list, I will write it down because then I can see it and, and see that I didn't miss anything. Um, and it's just, you know, learning, tricks like that. And that comes back to the cognitive behavior therapy, right? Like just learning tricks to deal with them. Um, but I've also learned to just not keep them to myself. Um, as an, as, as concerning and worrying as these thoughts are, I will share them with Steven and I will be like, this is in my head right now. Um, and sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't, but, um, Getting it out of your head, I find, is a little reprieve from it. But you and Stephen have been together so long, and and he's very like receptive and understanding of mental illness that you could you could tell him those things, and he'd mm-hmm. understand. Like this isn't you, Rebecca, thinking that like actually like consciously thinking he's going to hurt you. Yeah, right. It's it's not like you like saw something and now it, it's just thoughts that you can't control that mm-hmm. are telling you this. Mm-hmm. So, it's, yeah. I mean, it's fortunate that you have a spouse that's been around so long that can support you. I feel like that's something that sometimes people are missing. I see that in the bipolar forum where people are like, I don't have anybody to love me and I am all alone. And I'm just like, that's awful. It is. <laughs> I mean, And when you, you know, it's an interesting topic to start talking about spouses of people with mental illness. And actually on our show, we're getting ready to do like a series of like caregivers and spouses um, because their struggle is a struggle, but it's completely different from ours. Um, I couldn't imagine how it feels to have the person you love say, I think you're going to hurt me. You know, because like, you've never given me a reason to think that before, but I think it. Um, And so it takes a certain level of understanding and patience, I think, to be the caregiver and, and, and the spouse of somebody with any mental illness, really. Absolutely. I mean, Jeremy has depression, uh, but I feel like. I mean, not to, to negate like his experience, but then you add like a whole layer 
of extra when you add bipolar disorder onto that. And where he's just like, you know, I'll be like, oh, you're depressed. Like, do you need anything? Like, you know, whatever. And he'd be like, no, it'll be fine. I'm like, what, what level are you at? Like, is mild, moderate, like severe? Mm-hmm. He was just like, I don't, I don't know. It, and I'm just like, oh my God, you only, you only have mild. <laughs> you, he only has one level. <laughs> you only have a level. <laughs> like on a scale of one to a hundred, I can tell you where. <laughs> right. But, like we have the pain chart, like one to yeah. 10, <laughs> but like, you know, I, I, I can like empathize with his experience. Cause I experienced the, the you know, the helplessness, like, mm-hmm. and I know logically, like there could be, there's probably no reason you're dep- like nothing triggered this depression. It is just there. Yeah. Um, I just, so I can't imagine how helpless he feels yeah. like seeing it on the other end or how helpless, you know, Steven feels like on your end, like there's nothing they can do Mm-mm. like about it. it. It's just there. It's just there. And all we can do is hunker down and get through it. You know, that's, it's kind of the scary thing to bipolar, but I always tell people like, that's the wonderful thing about bipolar is it's not going to last. You absolutely know that you will go back up because mm-hmm. that's what the illness does. We bounce from one end to the other. So you can confidently say that you are not going to be depressed forever. It feels like it, but you won't. Now people with major depressive disorder, I don't even know how you would deal with that because you can get stuck there, right? Like mm-hmm. they don't have the ups and the downs. So that's what I always try and tell myself when I get into a situation like that. It's like, you know, it will get better. It has to get better because it's just the illness in itself. It will, but, it will flip. But OCD, you could get stuck there or am I wrong? You can, you can get stuck on a thought. You can very much get stuck on a thought. Um, and that's why therapy is a very big thing for OCD because you, you will get stuck in your little trap. And especially if you have compulsions, you get stuck in your compulsions and it just turns into a circle and you're just spinning your wheels. There's nothing you can do. You can't get out of it. Um, it really is sad when you, um, read the stories and hear people talk about it. I mean, my OCD isn't that severe, but there are people who can't function in life. Mm-hmm. Like they can't hold down a job and, and they can't go to school because they're too busy washing their hands and they're too busy worrying about, you know, am I going to hurt somebody or have I hurt somebody? Um, some people can't even get out of their house because they have so many compulsions. So, you know, you get to where you start stacking the compulsions on top of each other and it becomes such a ritual that it takes you hours to get out of the house because you have to do so many things to get out of the house. Yeah, that can definitely make it, I mean, that can make it really difficult. There are a lot of mental illnesses that people like go on disability because Mm -hmm. it, they just cannot function Mm -hmm. or or even hold down a they might be able to function but not be able to hold down a job because like 
you know, things keep getting in the way and then they get fired or they quit or like, you know, things happen. Well, how are you supposed to take care of yourself if you can't hold down a job? And, and a lot of people will end up, um, applying for disability when they have a severe enough mental illness. I I think a lot of people don't know that because when they think disability, they think physical disability and don't realize like you can have a mental disability as well. Like when it comes to mental illness. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's where, you know, we're all a little bipolar, right? Like, (laughs) like people don't see it as, as being as debilitating as it is. Right. Like this, it can literally implode your entire life. Mm -hmm. Like it can, it can interrupt. And and this is me coming from a bipolar stance, but like, again, I know people with other mental illnesses, any mental illness can get severe enough to where you're, it's affecting your every day life. Like your relationships, your, your jobs, your ability to get out of the house. I mean, with depression, sometimes you can't even get out of freaking bed, mm-hmm. right? Like all of these things. And people don't even realize that like they trivialize it. They act like yeah. it's not a big deal. It's like, like you said, everybody's a little bipolar or I have some OCD. I like things neat and tidy. They, they don't realize the severity and the struggles that people living with these disorders have to go through and, mm-hmm. and the things like we could, I mean, if we don't like work on it every single day, we could implode everything. Mm-hmm. And even, even when you are stable, everything can implode. Like mm-hmm. I've been stable 16, 17 years, 16 years now, um, just at the end of last year they were wanting to put me in the hospital because everything was imploding because I got into depression and I didn't realize it or I didn't address it Mm -hmm. and I didn't tell anybody. And I'm really good at saying that I'm fine and just kind of going with the flow. And then I just hit a brick wall and, and everything just starts falling apart. So even when you are medicated, even when you are in therapy, even when you're doing everything you're supposed to do, it can still bite you in the ass and everything falls on the floor and you just can't do anything. Well, I, I mentioned how, you know, people trivialize it. What, what do you think feeds this? Like where, where are people, besides the media, where are people getting this? Like, what can we do? Like, what can people do that are listening to stop this madness of like not taking things seriously when it comes to mental health? Like just (laughs) my least favorite is, oh, the weather is bipolar. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I don't know when it happened, but DSM five diagnosis diagnoses became part of the lexicon. I don't know when that happened, but as soon as that happened, that's when everything really started getting trivialized, right? Like it used to be, we just didn't understand it. And so like, we don't know about that. Right. Um, you know, the hush hush, we don't talk about, we don't talk about uncle Bob and his issues. Um, but as soon as we started using the diagnosis terms in in everyday lexicon, I think is when it really became an issue of trivializing how 
debilitating and how um, severe these illnesses are. I, I don't know why we do it because like, it's not like you run around and you're like, oh, I'm so diabetic today. Right. Like, <laughs> you, don't, you don't do that. Like, but we took the DSM five and we were like, these are adjectives now <laughs> because you, you know, you hear it with bipolar, you hear it with OCD, you, you hear it with, um, what it psychopath, right? He's so yeah. psycho or she was psycho. Like psychopath is not something to play around with. Um, schizophrenia, right? Oh, yeah. The weather I, is very schizophrenic. I had a, uh, Facebook friend of mine, uh, refer to us as herself as schizophrenic and, Needless to say, we had words because I'm like, do you even like fathom how serious what you're talking about is? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and something that I say on my show all the time is, is, you know, my diagnosis isn't your adjective. Like it is a real thing that affects my family and my life. And you're just using it to make your sentence more colorful. Yeah. Yeah. I went in on, I don't know if you've ever watched Jersey Shore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Snooki posted on or on Twitter like a couple months ago about how like, does anybody else have like a bipolar day where like, you know, or no, a bipolar week where like one day you're like unmotivated and you're just eating like crackers off the floor. And then the next day you're ready to clean your house. And I'm like, that is not bipolar. <laughs> I commented. I was like, if you are concerned that you have bipolar disorder, which is a serious mental illness, you really should see somebody. But if that's not where you're coming from, you're just contributing to stigma. Then she retweeted my tweet and said she was sorry. And then, <laughs> and then I had to deal with like the hate, like that came at me. From I bet people who are like, oh my God, it's just so weird. You're just blowing this out of proportion. And I'm like, I understand bipolar. Like I'm in school, right? Grad school, right? You read research papers. They'll talk about like scales, bipolar scales. Mm-hmm. That's not where people are coming from when they talk about the weather being bipolar or yeah. like their week being bipolar or like, oh, my friend's bipolar. That's not where they're coming from with this. We're not talking about in scientific terms here. Yes. And, and, and people don't freaking get it. No, they don't. And they it's don't. So frustrating. Um, and it feels like they don't want to because mm-hmm. I have gotten, I have gotten in trouble with family members um, for saying, you know, that's not OCD. Um, that's just tidiness and you should educate yourself. And like, it's a debilitating thing and blah, 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 blah. I've gotten in trouble before for doing that. Cause it, people don't want to know. Mm-hmm. They, they don't want to be told that they shouldn't be using these words for some reason. It just, it like makes them angry when you're like, well, that's not what that means. It makes them angry anytime you tell them they shouldn't say any words. I mean, there was just like this huge like kerfuffle about the N-word not too long ago where people on Twitter were like losing their minds that they should be able to say it. And I'm just like, why? Like, why? Or the R-word or like, just think Mm -hmm. of a word that's like you shouldn't be saying or phrases you shouldn't be saying. And people will argue with you about their right to say these words and phrases, right? Free speech. (laughs) And so it's just like, 
I don't know if they see it as a threat to their very existence that, you know, they're being called out that you shouldn't be saying these things instead of being like, oh, I didn't realize this was problematic. I should stop saying it. Yeah, I don't I don't know if it's, you know, if it's in the embarrassment of like being told that you were wrong. Like nobody wants to be told they're wrong. Right. I can see right. that. But like, I don't know if it's they're embarrassed. I don't know if, like you said, like if they take it as a personal attack, like I don't I don't get it. I did open the minds of my classmates, though, because my psych research project is on stigma. And in my presentation last semester, it's a two semester class. I talked about how people are contributing to stigma by using uh, mental health disorders and symptoms as adjectives. And I gave some examples and I literally had people go, oh, my God, I didn't realize. I'm like, Mm -hmm. yep, (laughs) I did good in a class of like 12 people. (laughs) (laughs) And actually, one of my friends, uh, she. was in that class with me. And then the other day she said something, maybe it was like, Oh, my OCD. And then she looked right at me and she goes, I really need to work on that. (laughs) And I was like, yes, I did good things. Um, so I could obviously talk to you forever. Cause I mean, even if I can't directly relate to the OCD, you know, there's always like some like, Oh, I can understand like having a thought that like it pops in there and you're like, why are you here? What am I mm-hmm. going on? I mean, obviously it doesn't stay there. Um, so it helps me to understand um, what you're talking about when I can relate it to like something I've been through where I'm like, oh crap, like, oh, okay. I can kind of understand on this level. Um, but as we wrap up the podcast today, what would you like to leave the Inspired Women audience with? I think what we've been talking about this whole time, you know, the biggest thing with the stigma of mental illness, I think, is lack of education, lack of knowledge. And so, you know, I would say I talk to a lot of people who, when they come out with a mental illness and say that they have a mental illness, they get a lot of pushback from family and friends. So, Mm -hmm. If somebody you meet or know ever says that I have this mental illness, I'm, my advice is just, you know, Google's free and there's a lot Mm -hmm. of good information out there and, you know, education helps you be able to help them. You know, if you know a little bit more about what they're going through, you can support them a little bit better. Yeah. I now own the DSM five, not saying people should purchase it, uh, but I, I did for school purposes, um, because my topic being stigma and, and we're going to be looking at different disorders and you want to be like, correct in what you're mm-hmm. saying. Right. Um, like the current research I'm doing, we, ch- uh, we are testing, um, four different disorders. Like we're changing the, um, what's it called the vignette to each disorder. So you're keeping like the main parts, like the person's profession, blah, blah, blah correctly, but we're changing the disorder and the symptoms Mm -hmm. and testing to see if there's a difference in stigma for each disorder, which I believe there is, but we're still Mm -hmm. testing it. Um, and so I got the DSM five, so I could accurately portray the symptoms of the disorders because I don't have schizophrenia. 
uh, I don't have like generalized anxiety disorder. I do have like some anxiety, but like, I'm not diagnosed with a disorder. I guess Mm -hmm. from what my psychiatrist said that sometimes it can feel like that with bipolar disorder, sometimes that you have like some anxious feelings. Um, but that's not the same as, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and, uh, major depressive disorder. I could obviously relate to that one, (laughs) but I still wanted to be like super accurate. Right. And it's really fascinating when you look at the DSM five to like really understand like what, what these symptoms are like in plain language where you're just like, Oh crap. Okay. That thing that I didn't realize was actually the disorder that I was diagnosed with. That's it. Oh, cool. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't recommend everybody buy the DSM-5, but it is very interesting when you can like see it in plain language, like these different symptoms. And then also like read people's experiences because like I may show symptoms that you don't show um, Mm -hmm. or my symptoms may manifest in ways that they don't for you. Um, So everybody's different. And, you know, I agree with you. That the whole point in that was, I agree with you that we should all be, we, we should all learn. Google's free. Um, and there's some great resources out there besides the DSM. But, you know, NAMI is really good. The Mayo yeah. Clinic breaks it down really well and in simple terms for you. Um, those are the top two that I would send people to, you know, just to get an overview of what's going on. And then you can dig deeper from there, depending upon how deep you want to go. I'm pretty sure those two were the first two places I went to when I got my bipolar diagnosis. Yeah. Because I didn't believe her. And I was just like, <laughs> no, I don't have bipolar disorder. I just have depression. And she's like, well, how, much, how about you go home, do some research, try these meds, see if they help you. Um, and if you don't agree, you know, you can come back like in a month or two and, and we can, we can talk this out and see if like, it's something else. No. Absolutely. Like as soon as I looked up those articles, I was like, oh shit. Yep. <laughs> I definitely have bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I started the meds and I'm like, oh, I feel a little bit better. But I mean, better. It's, it's taken like th- three years for them to like get to a point where I'm like, maybe we can stay at this dose. Maybe not. Yeah. But it seems to be working right now. Like who knows? But anyways, Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Yeah. Thanks for having me again. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.